And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. It's that time again. Halloween candy's half price at Walgreens and CBS. <laughs> Financial Fitness Friday, Rich Rich Rosso, Danny Ratliff, CFP Squared. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm gonna write a new I'm writing a new country song. It's called Inflation is Transitory, but it feels more suppository to me. How long have you been waiting to use that one? Oh my gosh. I've been biting at the bit for about three hours. So Danny, the big day today, we have the October jobs report. We'll see how that ends up. Bloomberg Economics is expecting employers hired 157,000 last month. And we'll see what the unemployment rate is. Um, the interesting part of some of these uh, articles I'm reading about the Fed uh, is um, the overnight index swaps. Uh, the first fully priced in, uh, uh, priced in cut by the ECB for interest rates will be in April, be followed by the Fed and the Bank of Canada in July. I don't understand why everybody's so confident that the Fed's going to cut rates. I asked, and Brent is my witness, I asked the most important Fed governor we've ever had and the Fed chair we've ever had, the magic eight ball who has been right since 2018 about when the Fed should cut or increase rates. And I asked that magic eight ball yesterday, will the Fed raise rates one more time? And the ball said yes. Wasn't that right, Brent? That is correct. That is correct. I am your witness. You just said concentrate and ask again. <laughs> you can't ask it again. I asked it I yesterday. I was just asking. You mean, hey, you never know. I think there's another rate hike coming. I am in that time. Ask of, again later. Look, this is just like the Fed. It is. Actually, it became the Fed this there morning. There you go. It's the federal eight ball. It's built like me. My reply is no. <laughs> wow. I mean, we're two for three here. You know, it is like the Fed. It changes its mind every day. Yes. It has no idea. The skies are cloudy, as the Fed would say. We have no clue. Either way, I, I think it's way too premature based on the, the labor market, the stubbornness of inflation. Food prices are up 25% in the last two years. Energy prices up at least 17%. I don't know if you've all looked at your property and casualty insurance rates lately. Oh, man. Just had that bill. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you a question, Danny. Do you think that eventually that bill is going to go backwards? No. No. No, so not at all. So all this economic fancy-schmancy talk about inflation going down... Yeah, rate of change, sure. But you are at a permanently higher plateau. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't here, anticipate but. seeing that go down. I think what was the average increase was like 37%. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was a lot. Now, it does pay you to shop. I can tell you this. If you need to find somebody that, that can shop this for you. And, you know, you can typically, new companies will incentivize you to bring you their business. Now, one year, two years down the, down the road, you're probably going to have to change I, again. But you just got to play the game if you want to save money. 
It, it's a challenge because I, I even have people that have shopped around and it's not much different because I think wholesale prices are going higher. But to your point, yeah, it always it doesn't hurt to do do the work. But boy, sticker shock. I got my gas bill yesterday. It's up 100% from where it was. I'm not using anything different. I'm not doing anything different. My electric bill's up 65%, and I keep my thermostat at 75. I mean, I'm not doing anything different than I've ever done before. So I always think to myself, how does a, how does a family handle this? Because these bills are not going down. This inflation is not going away. So you wonder why people are distressed and they don't see this Bidenomic magic. It's because of inflation. And wages, when you look at every quintile, no matter what you make, your real wages are negative. They've been negative for two years. So that's what's depressing you. Along the fact that we are less safe, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, you are less safe in this country. So there's a lot of things that are weighing on the economy. But I will tell you, Danny, the market isn't the economy. In as bad as people, you, as bad as you may feel or as good as you may feel, the stock market is probably doing something entirely different. So if you're going to use these emotions in the market, like I'm in a big believer that this, this war in Israel gets bigger. Right. I, I'm concerned. I, first time I've been telling clients in 32 years, I am worried about geopolitical risk. Well, that means we should all get out of stocks. No, not necessarily. That means we should all go here. No, not necessarily. You cannot let these, how you feel and what you see affect your emotions that bleeds into the portfolio. And that's what I worry about, Danny, that a lot of people are going to do that and they're going to blow up their plans. Um, I, I have some clients. I love them to death. They are the best contrarian indicators I have ever seen. I don't even like to fight them because I want to know what they have to say because I know what's going to happen in the market the next day, literally the next day. Yeah, no. We it, are our own worst enemies when it comes to managing the money. We, we have to be cautious. And I think some type of skepticism is always healthy to some extent. It is. Um, yeah. But I think we need to hold that, you know, carefully and also understand that, you know, we've seen so many people in the past who say somebody gets elected. Oh, I'm getting out. I can't stand, you know, I can't stand Trump. I can't stand Obama. I can't stand whoever it may be. Whoever it is. Right. It doesn't matter who it is. But people make a decision based on that. Oh, they're not going to do anything good. So we're going to get all the way out. And yet <clears throat> you pull up the returns. Go, go Google it. I mean, it's pretty easy to find this stuff now. And most of the time, we're, we are our own worst enemy. I hope, and I think, you know, cooler heads will prevail with all of the geopolitical I things hope so. to some extent, right? I, I'll, listen, I hope I'm so incredibly wrong about this. Don't believe me. Yeah. And it's my gut. I understand my gut feeling versus what I should do in my portfolio. Believe me, I'm, 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 I'm mature enough and emotionally mature enough to understand I'm not jumping that wall. I'm not crossing that red line in the portfolio to make a big change. I understand that. But um, you understand when you see all these polls that people don't get it, and then we get gaslit by the White House telling us that everything's great. Yes, some numbers are good. Absolutely. Okay, unemployment's good. We are, st uh, we are still looking, right? People are st Companies are still looking for workers. Right? Economic growth has been good. It's been fairly good. 
So there are numbers that are positive, okay? And the Fed doesn't help the psychology, but that also, in all fairness to the White House, they get blamed for that too. But then we got to think about who created the inflation. That comes out of the White House directly, okay? So we're all getting whipsawed here. And you don't want that to happen in your allocations, in your portfolios. Sure, you want to be a little bit more conservative, have a little bit more in cash. That's fine. But don't blow things up. Okay? That's not the right way to, to do things. And we're seeing a lot of people make a lot of knee-jerk reactions. Not based on rules, not based on goals, not based on plans, but just based on... Their friend told them this. Their boss is doing this. I feel like this. I feel and markets don't work. We'll get right back. We're going to talk about what if your retirement plan fails? Is that a big deal? No, not really. Let's talk about it when we get back. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So we're going to have a little bit of a kibosh in markets today. Uh, Dow, not much. I mean, sort of flat. Dow futures down three. NASDAQ futures are the ones getting hit down 60. Uh, Apple pretty much had a Disappointing holiday outlook, uh, quarter outlook. Um, usually they under-promise and over-deliver, but now they're under-promising and under-delivering. So, um, I thought they beat yesterday, no? Well, they've had revenue declines across the board. They had the lowest revenue coming out of China since mid-2022. So we've got shares down in Apple. I've got to check the pre-market, but it was about 3% or so uh, before. Uh, Mac, iPad weakness, flat December quarter revenue. Um, so this growth rebound that was expected um, is not going to happen. So, and again, there's a lot of weakness coming out of China. And that's a fifth of Apple sales. And that's its biggest production base. So that economy is not doing very well, to say the least. If they're doing 5% GDP growth, if that's even real, uh, that's just, that's recession, okay? So keep that in mind. Um, so there are a lot of challenges that Apple's going to face in a maturing market. Um, and, and the pressure they have to, to move out of China, that's not helping. So, so Apple's revenue in greater China decreased 2%, and that was a steeper drop than estimated. Um, iPhone 15, 6% lower. And uh, so, actually, Beijing, Beijing has expanded a ban on Apple products because they want state-backed firms and government-backed agencies. Well, a ban within the government buildings, right? Yep, yep, yep. But they're bleeding it out to consumers, too. They're sort of saying, listen, don't buy this phone. So, but again, it's just uh, it's an important market for Apple, and it's not, it's not working. This is all part of, we're going to talk about retirement plans, we are going through, if you haven't read the fourth turning, we are going through a deglobalization process, <clears throat> right? Even if you don't have any walls up around your country, you are having proverbial walls around your country, right? 
uh, we're not going to play well with others. And that's just what's happening. It's been happening over the last three years, four years uh, at least, and it's accelerated since the pandemic. So that de-globalization, that unwind is sort of painful. It creates a lot of volat uh, volatility. It'll create a lot of disorder, okay? And it's going to mean even more important for you to maintain your <clears throat> emotions and focus on what you can, what you can control. Right, Danny? Yeah, I think that's the key. I think you have to take everything you know, cautiously, slowly. Don't make any knee-jerk reactions. I think that's the biggest problem. We start getting headline news. Lance wrote about that in this last week's uh, newsletter mm -hmm. at realinvestmentadvice.com. Essentially, just looking at headline news, what is it designed to do? Is it designed to inform or is it designed to sell? It's nothing but whipped icing. And whipped icing is better for you than news. Okay. Well, the more bombastic the headline, the oh, more we absolutely. Say, oh my it's all, gosh! It's all clickbait. <clears throat> yeah. It's all clickbait, and it's go. And they don't care if you make a bad decision. What do they care? No, they got to click. Sell ads. Exactly. So um, keep that in mind. And it gets worse and worse and worse um, when it comes to clickbait. And I don't care if you're going onto a financial station, uh, financial website or not. It's the same. They're a little less bombastic, but they're still there to make sure you're clicking. Okay? I saw one, right, is this, is this a new bull market? What does that even mean? Because we've had a couple of updates. We had like, four <laughs> updates? Yeah. We've had three bad months? Actually, we're in, still in a long-term, I mean, even though it, feel, doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, you have these smaller bull cycles, bear cycles within, but keep this in mind. The media has to work harder and harder to get your attention. So the more bombastic they have to get, that's all they do. That's all they're designed to do. So that's another reason, I think, why people make bad decisions. You want to make a good decision? I, I read from Bankrate how savings rates are at the lowest they've been uh, as far as ha people have no emergency savings. We know this for a fact. We know how emergency savings had increased during the pandemic, but we, we don't have them anymore. People are not even looking to save for an emergency now because of inflation. But you have to try to do that. You have to try to have a cushion of money. We, rep we, we recommend a year's worth of living expenses. We call it the financial vulnerability cushion. Six months for stuff that breaks down, six months in case you do. You lose a job, you lose some health, um, Somebody's out of whatever. Someone in the family's out of work. Who knows? Okay? And you're getting, you're getting good rates for cash. That's not part of your long-term allocation. Well, cash could be, of course, right? When you're looking to buy and you're looking to, to have some, some money liquid, it's always good to have cash. But outside of that, that emergency reserve is very, very important. And now you're even getting paid to have it. You know, Danny, people are in denial because... I talked to someone yesterday who's been sitting in a Wells Fargo account earning 0.5%. Rates are higher for, like, in other words, we've been in sort of, such a period of low rates on cash. People don't even realize that, wait, wait a minute. You know, if I take this 66 figures, five figures, four figures, whatever I got in this, and I move it, I'm going to get this much per year? If I go to an online savings account or whatever, I'm going to earn what? 
So I had to do the math for somebody yesterday. And it was like... Oh, I've done that. Thousands of dollars like, left on the table. Thousands of dollars. Because it's, it's, it's hard to sink in when you've had so many years of low rates <laughs> that, wait a minute, what? Yeah, what could you do with that? I mean, you could do a lot. You, yeah. I mean, yesterday, I mean, I, I crunched the numbers and it was like 30, it was like three, it was like 3,500 bucks. And I'm like, listen, 3,500 bucks isn't chump change. No, she, heck she, no. She goes, what? I can do What? Like, you can basically do one thing and then do nothing. Right. Right. I mean, may take a little bit more than I that. I mean, you but it's like a no brainer to bolster your cash flow in your household just by moving an account. But, yeah. you know, sitting in the status quo or not paying attention or watching what the Kardashians are doing or whatever the heck is on the TV, or you got to watch Friends a thousand times because Matthew Perry died, you know, the. Focus on the fact that you can make more money just by moving your account, which is easy to do. No disrespect to Matthew Perry. I'm just saying we focus on things that don't really mean a lot to us personally. No, that's right. So we talked about emotions and, and how it's always this time is different. This yeah. time something's going on and we've never been here before. And I always use this exercise quite a bit. And I think this is, is helpful. But Time Magazine has the vault. You can go back and look at their headline covers. You know, since they since they started. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, like <laughs> I pulled up uh, business and the economy. Okay, goes back to 1929. All right, but just a few of the headlines. Um, is the U.S. going broke? We've got is capitalism working? Well, I expected that one out of the Times. At the, I mean, the Time Magazine. What else? Uh, the budget brawl, the monster deficit, and I, and I should be giving you years on this as well. I mean, we're going back. To How big 60s is that monster now? What year was that? <laughs> that was March fifth, nineteen eighty four. Mm. That looks like a little baby monster <laughs> compared yeah. to today. Uh, Eighty six. Good Go news, cheap oil. Bad news, cheap oil. Mm. Eighty seven. The crash. October eighty seven. That was in November. The future of money in 1998. Um, holding on for dear life. That's 2009, which we all know what happened just prior to that. That, that. that was sort of valid. I mean, we made it through. Like, that's the thing is, is people don't realize the resiliency, even though I could say some of these, some of what we did didn't seem to make yeah. sense. But <laughs> yeah, the case on for, for killing Social Security. Whoa. That was in 1995. Lance likes that one. Until he starts collecting it next year. <laughs> eh, I won't allow him. Yeah. But, you know, this is just one little little snippet, right? I mean, uh -huh. there's so much here. I mean, we can go into politics. I, and I, You know what, Danny? There's nothing wrong. I always believe, like, if I have a certain belief... Whatever, I don't care what it is. It's about money. It's about politics, whatever it is. I do decide to cross the line and read other opposing viewpoints. How do you not? You have to. I think you have to. Um, you just can't close your eyes to it. Um, you know, there's Jeremy, like on the financial side, these Uber bulls, Uber bears, right? I like to think of us in the middle. We, we sort of just look at the market for what it is, Right. Um, that's how I, that's how I look at it, but you've got to at least read, 
you know, so I, I want, I have one client that said, well, you know, I don't want to, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of Tom Lee. Uh, you know, I, he's always bullish, but I still want to hear what he has to say. Like, I don't agree with some of the things he says sometimes, but I'm like, okay, that's an interesting perspective. In other words, you can't close your mind and we're more closed minded than ever to differing points of view. We used to be able to have discussions about things like that. Civil discord was okay, and you could turn around afterwards, go have a beer, and I think that's just gone out the window. Yes, it's definitely gone. You know, now so, somebody wants to slit your throat. I mean, it's yeah, like, you know, I mean, like, what? I, you think what? And, and, and here's why I always look at this, too, is like, okay, if you and I have a differing opinion, something has happened throughout your life, something has occurred to make you feel that way, Right. Something shaped the, shaped the view. Correct. Yeah. And, and same for me, right? And I think that's the problem is that nobody wants to get to the root of it and understand, okay, why do you think this way? Why do you feel this way? Even if I don't agree with it, mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. We're allowed to feel and think different. That's okay. It's great. That's what makes America fantastic is that we have that and ability to actually that. get out there and, and I, do And that. I think it helps with finance, especially when you're getting ideas about the macro economy. Well, but you also may be looking at something completely different the way I look at it. Correct. And then it gives you different perspective. You're like, oh, wow, never thought of it that way. Absolutely. How does this impact our investments? How does this impact what we do, how we do it? We'll be right back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and we're back so tomorrow we've got candid coffee talking turkey Open forum, lots of questions. We would like your questions. The challenges you've had this year. From a portfolio management perspective, it's been incredibly tough. Um, Lots of whipsawing, lots of narratives that pull money away from rules. It's definitely been the year of emotional investing. And disappointing from that perspective. Um, Narratives and stories are always part of investing. Uh, Great book, Narrative Economics. Really great book out there. Um, And I will tell you that um, the AI narrative just took over. But not everybody's going to be invested in seven stocks. They're going to have a diversified allocation for the most part. And that hurt. Well, and, and if you did have those seven stocks the year prior, you're still just fighting to get back to even for the most part. If you the problem the year before, right? They were pariahs. Yeah. Nobody wanted them. Right? Oh, the you know what? What was it? The meme stocks are dead, tech is dead, all this stuff's dead. Wow. What a head fake. What a head fake. Well, it was, but the problem is, is if you you rode that out, you're not really much better off than you were before. 
No. In a lot of cases, you're actually, depending on how what your allocation was, you're probably not even back to even. But I had a lot of talk with uh, clients in the beginning of the year. They didn't want to. They didn't want to own tech stocks at all. No. They want to go near tech stock. Oh, why would I do that? The whole world's coming to an end this year. Well, this is still here. This was more narrative investing versus actually fundamental or even, you know, technicals finally turned. But you think about this and for the most part, usually Mm -hmm. we have we have sectors or industries or areas that do very poor. Yep. And then there's kind of a renaissance with them. they, They do well. And I think that's the toughest thing for many people to do. Now, we still would never recommend you put all of your funds into something like that because the risk is enormous. What if you're wrong? And then at that point, we're more speculative. Yeah, you're not an inv- you're an investor. You're not a you're, you're a trader, and that's okay. It's okay to be a trader. If that's what you want to do, and you have rules, God, yeah, go ahead and do it. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing. You understand what you want. That's how you're going to operate. You know yourself. At least you know. You're not, you're not telling yourself stories, not lying to yourself. You know what you want. That's perfectly fine. I've had people that have, that went into tech stocks and friends of mine, they are traders and they went in and doubled down on this stuff. And that's how they are. They, they know that's how they are and they know, and they've made huge mistakes. They're probably average about 3% a year over the last 10 years, even though one year from another, it's like feast or famine. So I said, did you ever look at your average returns? Oh, no. (laughs) So I did. I said, well, if you want me to examine him. So one of my friends doing this for 10 years, he has had some killer years. Good, I mean, bloody as heck or shining like gold. 3.25% annualized return. For all that roller coaster. (laughs) Really not worth it to me. Really not worth it to me. So um, I would rather own really good companies with really great cash flows that possibly pay dividends. And maybe they're not a big story. But under the surface, they have great businesses and they consistently churn out results. I'll take that any day. But that's me. That may not be you, right? Everybody's different, to your point earlier, Danny. What was the time frame on that? On your buddy. February of 2013, 3.25% per year (laughs) on average. Well, but I think that just goes to show, I mean, he could have had, like you mentioned, really good years. He had had some years that were amazing. He could have had one or two really bad years that just completely diminished. Well, they were. They were horrible. And yeah. these last two years could have really impacted him. Yeah. But again, it just shows that it all evens out in the wash, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, some of the best people I know have, they build their wealth through their businesses, right? They, they own good companies. Um, who's the guy in town? Seraphim. Remember? Faya Seraphim? I know I'm slaughtering his name like Lance does with Greg Valieri. Um, so, uh, but what Abby Vi? Abby Vi. Like, where did you get that from? It's, I mean, it's, you're so smart. He's been calling me Russ for as long as I've known him. 
You know, he doesn't know my name. So what Russ, I'm saying, I'm going to start calling you Russ. Just I like that. Name. Out, Russ. Russ Rosso. Hey, Russ. I like that even better. So I didn't even mind when he called me that because I'm like, when I was a kid, I wanted my, I hated my name because I can't even say it on the air. Um, oh wait, <laughs> hold on. Is he going to blush? Wait a second, guys. <laughs> my grand, wait, there's my, something that he can't say on air. My nana, my nana. Okay, she's most innocent Nana, right? You know, you know what the nickname for Richard is. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I had a older cousin named Richard. Mm. So he was Big Richard, and I was Little Richard. But we weren't. <laughs> and using that goes the a whole word. other direction too. <laughs> and that's my point. <laughs> Na- and it's Nana. Look at my little Rich. <clears throat> Nana, mm-hmm. can yeah. we just? Sh- Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I like Russ Rosso. That I sounds like a character from one of your westerns. I saw what I did is I never corrected him. He just it just finally phased that he knew my name. It just blossomed on him. So it's okay. Russ Rosso. If I didn't like the name, I probably would have said something sooner. So <laughs> I don't even know what we were talking about. Uh, so okay, so Fire Seraphim, we were talking about that. This is a dude. That just own the best companies, best in breed, large cap. You knew the names and held them. That doesn't mean that, you know, he didn't have bad years. He did. But his philosophy was always, I want to own the best companies, best balance sheets. Not going to get wrapped up in emotion. And I want dividend. And all. I mean, he was a solid kind of like a, almost like a Buffett-ish kind of investor um, type. You know what I mean? Yeah. So everybody's going to have a different philosophy. So when it comes to philosophy, too, on what your retirement plan looks like, you have a vision of what your plan's going to be, and then there's what we call reality, okay? So somebody I met with, I've never had, a, I've never had someone say this to me before, but I got, you ruined my weekend. My life is over, sort of like that. Wait and a second. You had somebody tell you this? Yeah, because oh, the plan was at 70%. And this is a gentleman, very nice gentleman, who wants to retire in five years. And I said, wait, whoa, 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 hey, whoa. <laughs> Man, that's pretty. Yeah, you ruined my weekend. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And I'm like, I really devastated this poor, this poor man who works very hard. And I said, listen, this is not, this is, this is, our plans are tough, first of all. Right, Danny? Our plans are tough. We are assuming lower returns, forward-looking returns. We do math to figure out valuation. We, we, we actually put a, lot of in, we put a lot into our planning software. <clears throat> so I said, well, let's, let's, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at this. He's got a, quite a bit of guaranteed income. He lives very reasonably, okay? But you know what we did? We, took it a, we looked at the different perspective of doesn't want to work longer, that was okay, but there were some people where working longer would work. To take that plan, because I started testing scenarios. If this gentleman worked two more years, his plan went to 85%. No longer at 70 Huge! He doesn't even have to work a job that he has now for the pay he's making now for the plan to work. Right? So that's us. So if you said to somebody... Listen, I understand that you want to you want to retire at 65. What if you can work till 67? But 
you just do something else. Yeah. You bring in, you work part-time, right? You, I don't think that is unreasonable for a realistic retirement scenario. It doesn't mean you have to stick in the same old job. It doesn't mean you have to make the same amount of pay. What if I just increase my percentages and savings for the next, for, for the next five, six years? What if I just boasted my, or maxed out my Roth, or maxed out my plan? What if I just saved 2 3% more? That brought his plan up to 80. And a lot can change in five or six years with market returns too, right? Didn't examine the budget as closely. Finally, we did a budget analysis. The bottom line was we took the plan from 70 to 81%. Just by tweaking a few things, no one is going to be at 100%. And the people who are at 99% probability of success, that's great. You've done a wonderful job. You've, you're, you're a mega saver. You're, you live reasonably. You manage debt well. But you're also probably not having a lot of fun either. <laughs> you got to live your life or have or expand out what you want to do with that money. You know, having more money or having less money, there's still issues with both. And I even consider someone that 99% a plan failure. And I'm going to explain to you why when we get back. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com okay my language is probably too harsh because you have a 99% probability of your plans. You've done a wonderful job. I don't want to take that away from you. You've been a conscious saver. You've done all the right things. But I have clients, and you probably do too, Tanny, that <clears throat> I have to tell them to think about what they're going to do about that. In other words, do you have a gifting strategy? Are you going to wind up do you want to enjoy more things? I've had to get clients to go out and enjoy their lives a little bit more because they're, they're afraid to spend. They, they need things. They want to do things, but they're afraid because that's their nest egg. And maybe they have no leg, they leg, legacy intent. So <clears throat> you've got to there's – a, there's a middle ground here that both sides need to work. Right? A plan is about flaws and compromise, and they're not perfect because there's a dilemma on people who are not going to make it, and there's a dilemma for people who have incredible numbers in their plan. And they have to open up a little bit. On one side, they need to open up a little bit and think about other things they would like to do. Think outside the box. 
Is there a special trip you want to take? You could do it. What's great about a financial plan, Danny, is you can say to somebody, you can do this. We can test this. You can do this. You can make this work. On the other side of it, if your plan isn't what you expect it to be, that doesn't mean even that the plan has failed. That means that we need to tweak things and work work it out, right? It's it's a raw ball of clay. We have to form it better. We have to work on ways to get those numbers to improve. When you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, your cholesterol is high. You, do you go home and say, he's just ruined my weekend and I'm, I'm over and I don't know what I'm going to do? No, you figure out ways to make it better. You get type 2 diabetes, right? If you don't stop doing this, this is going to happen. If you make some of those changes, and I've had people that have had type 2 diabetes that have made, they haven't even made that big of a change. They walk a little more, they sweep their diet, and their numbers have improved. It's the same thing with a plan. You don't have to be dramatic to get to the numbers you need to. You're almost there. Let's tweak it. Because a plan is never perfect. And I don't know what that looks like. It's almost like people look at it like a grade in school. I've got an A or I've got a D, right? And it's not. It's a snapshot of your life in one period of time. And it reflects some of your goals and aspirations. And we have to help you find a way to what I help you understand, reach escape velocity on those goals. I don't know what's going to happen in three years. This is a snapshot. And we have to take that snapshot again in a few years, depending on what goal you have and when you would like to realize it. Coming in with a score that shows that your plan has an X percent of probability of success and you expected a higher number, you don't have to do much to make it exponentially better, right? And people don't realize that. They go, oh my gosh, the plan's failed. And well, if you save an extra 2% a year, do you think you can do that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, guess what? Your plan just, your, your plan probability of success just shot up dramatically. Working longer, taking social security properly, right? We tweak the plan where this individual optimized the strategy of waiting to take Social Security. It works. So he's six years away from retirement. He's at 80%. And six years from retirement, you're not going to be at 99% because you're not retiring today. Okay? We're not launching today. We're prepping to launch. So if you're at 80 to 85% and you've got still six, seven years of working life in you, that's not a failure. That's a snapshot of you along a path, and we need to just get you, align you a little bit to get you to the most successful number we can by the time you are ready to make the life change. But I was sort of felt terrible, Danny. I ruined like somebody's weekend. I'm, well, I'm sure I ruined a lot of people's weekends, <laughs> but not in my career. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that would ruin my week, too. I mean, like, have, first of all, having to deliver that news. Second of all, have somebody tell you that. That's awful. Um, because, I, because we take this personal. We, we really... Um, we do. We enjoy what we do, but have pride in, in how we do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And 
doing the right thing is, is super important, but also having these conversations is probably the worst part of our jobs. Saying, hey, you were on track, and now we're not. What can we do? What happened? Were returns not good enough? Were, um, did you not save enough? Did you spend too much already? Did you pull money out? And, and we see it all. We but see a lot of different things. You know what the sad part is? If he probably went somewhere else, a big box brokerage firm, and ran that plan. Oh, they'd have made that that plan look good. That he'd have been a happy camper. Yeah. I made him unhappy because I'm because I tried to look at the most realistic scenario for a market cycle, right? And that's the job because I rather have this conversation with you to say we need to make improvement as opposed to he would have gone somewhere else. And I guarantee, and we don't use that word lightly, I guarantee that plan would have been closer to ninety percent or over, yeah. <clears throat> and that would have made him complacent. So I said, if, I, if, if that person's wrong, you're in for a rude awakening. If I am wrong, you're in for a great enlightening. Which one you want? I'd rather have the realistic truth now that markets move in cycles and it's not all bull. It's bull. Hmm? We could be in for a period of lower asset class returns. I switched these numbers in 2020, 2000, 2019, 20, or 2020, around there, to reflect lower asset class returns. Because I've done it before. I've done it in 2003. I've done it in 2012. I've done it in 2019. And I always look dumb for a couple of years. But our job as fiduciaries is to give you the most realistic information possible based on the environment you may face. So how many people, Danny, that we have run plans for that have gone through this turbulence time? And by the way, the stock market has done nothing for close to two years. Go ahead and look at the S&P two years ago and number now, okay? This is what I expected. I have not had one plan interrupted, one distribution or one trip canceled, only if that person wanted to do it, mm -hmm. but their plan was still successful, but that's because of what we did to prepare for this, right? Well, I think we talked about this before, that people are generally pretty smart when it comes to bad economies, bad markets, that they'll intuitively slow down by themselves. Mm -hmm. Hey, I didn't travel. They just I didn't feel take like this they trip. want to, right. Well, you know, it's like visiting with a lot of clients during or just after summer. Hey, do you guys have summer travel plans? What'd you guys do? Mm. Oh, well, we did, but we canceled it. Why? <laughs> have you seen the market or have you seen the economy? Have you seen gas prices? I mean, you know, insert whatever topic or reason. But people, generally speaking, do a pretty good job of cutting back in these environments. Now, not everybody. Especially those who have saved and worked hard, right? They, yeah, yeah. They're more sensitive to it. They make rational decisions. But what's cool is you can go back to the plan and go, you don't have to. That's what I did. Every yeah. one of these people, I was wow. like, guys, you can actually do this. What? Yeah, you can still do this. Why did you not call me before you canceled this? Right. You can do this. Oh, well, you know, I wish, it wouldn't have felt right. Okay, hey, more power to you. And, and listen... Those are the people that are generally the most successful exactly. in retirement. Exactly. Because they are making those and hard decisions. They are still thinking yeah. about 
okay, longevity of funds, what's going on, and understand that some of these things are beyond our control, but what we can control is what goes out the back door, which is the spending. Absolutely. Those are the people that worry a little bit about their money. There's a little bit of dissonance in their head about it are the ones that are most successful. If you're not worried about your money, and that's what a lot of advisors say, don't worry about your money. Let me do it for you. No. You worry too. Not enough to make it unhealthy, but enough to keep you on edge. Enough to save properly, manage your debt properly, so that you do have financial flexibility and security. The people who don't worry and live only for today, and we've shared those stories that I couldn't do what some of these people do. I couldn't have a spouse out of work and a child and then decide that I'm going to go ahead and take a trip that's going to be 20 grand on my credit cards. It's not, it's not in my DNA <laughs> to do it. It wasn't in my dad's DNA to do it, but it's not in mine. And that goes back to your money script. That goes back to your money script and how you perceive money and what formed that script. So join us tomorrow. Talk in Turkey about your money. Open Q&A. We'll also have some tips for you as well. 8 a.m. Before you start your day, go to realinvestmentadvice.com to sign up. Sign up for Lance's newsletter. Take a look at the latest uh, writings by Michael Leibowitz. We are writing every day and analyzing things for you. Thanks for uh, sticking with us today. Have a great weekend. Lance will be back on Monday.